Welcome to Total Shutdown. I'm your host, Matthew Harrison. Today, I am joined by uh, Damon Storch and Mike Kelly. I have them both on a conference call here. So, uh, just say hi, guys. What's up? What's up? And, uh, yeah, so we're going to get down and into it real quick. I don't want to waste a lot of time. Um, We're going to open up just with the simple interview questions to kind of get an idea of who these guys are. You know, we don't don't know who these guys are. So, uh, let me just pick one. Uh, I'll go Damon first. Uh, uh, all right. If do you have like a favorite word right now? Favorite word right now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, Mike and I were just talking. I I just learned the word uh, magnanimity. It's oh, pretty, pretty cool. Interesting. We might get to talk about that later. <laughs> all right. Cool. All right, Michael. Do you have one? Um, my favorite word. I had a word last week that I thought was really funny, but I can't remember it. <laughs> um, you know what's a fun word to say? What? Validity. Validity. That's that's, that's valid. That's definitely. That's definitely. <laughs> Magnanimity, by the way, to anyone listening who doesn't know this, is essentially generosity. So. Um, but it's it's more on like the like forgiving end of generosity. Yeah, it's like a like, benevolence, like, like a kind yeah, spirit, yeah. a generous spirit towards others, but in your actions rather than in your like financially or fiscally. Right, uh-huh. man, that was beautiful. <laughs> All right, so Mike, you said you had a question or a, a prompt for us. <clears throat> Why don't you just give us that? So. Hold on, I just gotta. Okay, so I was thinking, like, let's say, like, okay, situation. Let's say there was like a shooter that came into the school, and he was shooting kids. And let's say you killed him. It's obviously justified, but what makes that killing justified? Oh, we've talked about this before. Okay. Right, can I can I uh, throw out my my yeah, side out dude, there? Dude, let's go. All right, go ahead. Okay, so. I, I remember I was talking to Mike about this on the bus one time, and yeah, that was, was we were trying to distinguish the difference between murder and killing, and I was saying that murder is more like of a malice, like cold-blooded, like attack and like kill on somebody, whereas killing is simply just the act of making something dead. You understand? Yeah. So, so. Uh, so we were talking. I was. We were talking about like people, like our soldiers in Afghanistan and stuff. And we were saying like, so, uh, like, are they murderers? Because it's so odd to think of you know our our freedom defenders as murderers. It just mm-hmm. doesn't. It doesn't taste right. Yeah. And so, uh, like I said before, the the distinguishment is definitely in the the intention, in the in the cold blooded way that you are you know, pursuing killing this person, that's what makes it murder. So, you know, if, uh, you know, like Chris Kyle is, you know, sniping down, uh, well, was sniping down, um, like, you know, the, uh, Middle Eastern, you know, terrorists like left and right. And like, it was because it was his job because he was defending our freedom. I would say he's just a freedom defender, but if he's intently like hateful, of these of the terrorists i mean because of what they're doing and although he has a right to be 
that still I think would make him a murderer. So even if it's you think like justifiable, Justified. right? So what yeah, about so like, like yeah, what about so, what about the guttural like uh, reaction to hate someone who's trying to kill you? Yeah, and that's what we were talking about. And I mean, biblically, like hating anybody is killing them, is murdering them in your heart. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I mean, the the physical exposition of that would be you know hating somebody and you know acting on it killing them right yeah. and so like even if it's justified even like if so if there is a terrorist and you hate him and you have every right to you know hating him in your heart is just the same like theologically as killing him hmm. with your hate yeah that's true mike what were you gonna yeah, say so that that kind of adds another level to it as well so but this this was my kind of take on it so like so we all have like that capacity for evil, that capacity to murder. I mean, we can have a debate of whether everyone does, but the majority of people do. Mm-hmm. So the person who's shooting up the school obviously has the capacity to murder. He's doing it. He's allowed that capacity to manifest itself in him. Right. So he's allowed that to, in a way, take over his being. Well, and here's so, if I can interrupt for a sec. What yeah, is ahead, is it different if like cuz you talk about murder as like premeditated hatred, but like what if you just want to kill anyone and you walk into a school and open fire or a public place and open fire and just hope you kill someone there? Is it still murder like under your definition? Well, wait, wait. So so let me finish what I was saying and then we'll get to that. Okay. So <laughs> he's he's allowed that capacity of killing and evil to manifest itself in him. I have not yet let that manifest itself in me. But in order for me to commit the act to kill him, I in a way am letting that evil capacity manifest itself in me to do the very act. Okay. Does that make sense? Even though it's not directed so, towards a specific individual? Yeah, I'm still letting the same – not the same evil, but the killing capacity to manifest itself in me. Mm. So does that – make it justified if you kill the killer if i kill him because i'm killing him because i'm allowing the manifestation i'm allowing the evil to manifest itself in me yeah and then is it evil but is it possible is it possible to kill him without murdering him yes yeah i would say yes in that situation you think that like you're like you said that you you allow that to manifest in yourself let's take um you remember the the church shooting in texas yeah and how the guy opened fire and literally a guy like from like the other side of the room like instinctually whipped out his gun and killed him okay i do not think that that guy hated him as soon as he opened fire i think that instinctually he saw that people were being harmed and whipped out his gun and fired yes and so even though he had the capacity to kill that person because, you know, he, he's seeing that that other person is harming people, it does not necessarily mean that he hated him spontaneously. Yeah. He didn't so, see bullets fly and like spontaneous hate just like came spewing out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So would it be would it be comfortable to say that in order to kill the shooter, you don't have to hate him, but you do have to allow the manifestation of the killing capacity within you to do it? Well, too. Additionally, like I think maybe it's cultural too that we've gone past the objective. Like sometimes you need to kill someone. That sounds so bad. Please don't take that out of context. But like we've moved past an objective. Like 
you know, I guess like a warlike attitude. And some people are like, well, that's civilized. But on some in some situations, is it, you know, necessary? So I think we look at it societally as like, you have to get to a certain almost inhumane point to be willing to kill someone. And that's kind of what we're talking about. But is it really that in certain situations? Because like you said, you objectively look at it and say, this guy's a threat. He needs to be neutralized. And I have a gun. So, so now, since we are both, since the person committing the mass shooting and me are both allowing the manifestation of the killing capacity to arise in us, what makes me killing him justified? Like that, that's kind of where I was thinking. Well, what are you, I guess what should be the reaction? Like if you could kill him, you have a gun and he's shooting people, but you don't want to murder him. You don't want to allow that like killing capacity to be what's controlling you. Do you let it happen? Do you try to take him down without killing him? Well, no, I would think it'd be unjust to let him do it. But I'm just wondering since. I I think what Matt is asking is, do you shoot him in the leg or do you kill him? Yeah, to some extent. Do you try to do you try to stop him and stop what he's doing? Is that the justification to stop him, or the justification to kill him? Like I'm not trying to kill him is a way of stopping him, but I'm not trying to like question you directly, Mike. Either like I'm just saying in your in your situation, if like as a as a hypothetical, if you don't want to allow yourself to go to that point and shoot him, how do you react? You know. Which I mean, maybe you I, don't know. Maybe I don't. I mean, I don't know. Not, yeah, I, 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 I think to bring up the the church shooting again. Like I, I, I really feel like that is just innately what that guy did. What yeah. I, I don't know the person's name who shot the the church shooter, but I, like I don't. Might think, have been pure instinct for him. I, I <laughs> do believe that. I don't think that he was making like. I don't think there was really any like um, mechanic decisions. Like I think everything was just like. Yeah. Like just it flew right out. Well, yeah, and when you, yeah. um, Mike, you could probably talk about this better than me. I haven't read the book, but uh, Dostoevsky, the uh, Crime and Punishment. Doesn't yeah. he oh, talk no, about I'm that? Gonna... Sure. Yeah, we could talk about it. No, but like, doesn't he talk about how oh. well, you said the story of the guy with the the ant or whatever? Yeah. You want to just break that down? The pawnbroker. What What about it? Uh, I mean, just because that's what that's an example where like your situation kind of justifies the killing and there well, is yeah yeah so i mean that's again dostoevsky is uh, is all um uh not it's a secular perspective well no he is a christian really yeah, yeah in the, in the book he does bring up a uh, like a big takedown on uh unlike fake christianity it's a yeah. when he, uh, what's his name uh rose how do you say it, Mike? Rostov. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so he he's having a dream of of this man yeah, who's beating down on a horse, and he like just relentlessly, and like it's an old horse, and he's having it like carry like a bunch of people, and it's just like it's too much for the horse. So the guy is just beating down on it with like a like a metal stick or whatever, and so. The person, the people are telling him like, oh, like, you know, like, how could you do that? Like, and he's like, don't worry about it. It's not your horse. It's mine. And yeah, he Mike, said. Yeah, he Mike said, had a um, point about it. He said, uh, 
the people start screaming, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And he says, there's no God. I can do what I want. Like, who are you to say I can't do this? Mm. You know? And so the whole book, like, the – kind of like a on another level of analysis of the book, he's kind of subtly proving the existence of God because Raskolnikov, the main character, had every reason to kill that lady. Like, Dostoevsky gave the guy every reason to kill her. And it was still wrong. And he still, like, mentally fell apart after it happened. Mm-hmm. So if there was no God, then what he did should be perfectly fine. And he should feel perfectly fine with doing it. But he didn't. Why? Hmm. I really That's have to read that. <laughs> yeah. I do, like it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. But when he, it but gets it, interesting, it's really interesting. Yeah. 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 Well, it's just the there, there's some slow slow parts in there. The yeah, excerpt that I was the excerpt that I was reading, Mike, was like super awesome. <laughs> oh, that's from Notes from Underground. The yeah, one and that one that. that's it's the he's not writing as himself, right? He's writing as a character from the yeah, underground. But he he does believe so. Like in the book, there's a famous quote: "Man is sometimes extraordinarily passionately in love with suffering." And. uh so Dostoevsky kind of – I think he believes that because he's an existentialist, which means like um, the, the individual reigns supreme and all of that. So the book is like – what? What? Did something just happen? Yeah, my ph- my phone vibrated. I got a notification. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, the book is really good. He says something. In this book, he's also proving the existence of God because he says, um, though your mind works, your heart is darkened by depravity, and without a pure heart, there could be no full right consciousness. So, you know, like the whole atheist argument is like um, rationality and facts and values and everything can get you to a utopia like reality. But he's saying, since the heart is, it's just completely darkened by depravity there can no be correct consciousness huh so no one can truly pick like perfectly every right choice ever like it's literally so, impossible even if you knew yeah and so That's... he says he says some other things that are really interesting okay oh so about about justice he was talking about how the underground man in the book is talking about how um, he, he, in a way, like envies people who take revenge because he uh, – let me find it. He says uh, – Because he's, he's, he's saying that he's a coward that he can't take the revenge is that that's yeah yeah he can't he can't take the revenge because he's he's too conscious he says he's too he thinks too much into things and so what he says is like uh revenge like embodies the whole person like it it almost becomes them they can't function without the necessity for revenge and so he said what people do when they're vengeful is they justify it by saying rather than being rather than um, acting in revenge, they're acting in justice, and so 
Um, that's what the people do by justifying revenge is they think it's justice. But the underground man says that since he's too conscious and too intelligent, he recognizes that they're only trying to disguise it as justice, not keep it as revenge. And so he's saying that's why I can never commit any act of revenge, even if I wanted to with all of my heart. is because I know I'm too intelligent and too conscious to know that revenge is not justice. So does he not believe there is anything that is true justice? No, he thinks there's things as true justice. He just doesn't think that you can disguise revenge as justice. Oh, okay. So he oh, – okay. yeah. that's – I really have to read that book. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. Yeah, it's when nice. I'm done with it, I'll give it to you. Yeah, hopefully we're not still in quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we are, I'm blowing through books. I, I, I love it. I uh, I ordered the the rules of the game, but it didn't. Uh, it's coming Thursday because Amazon is like super slowed down right now. Yeah. Well, actually, I bought this book off Prime, and it came in two days, which I was surprised about. When did you buy it? Uh, I bought it Thursday. Or I bought it Friday, and it came on Sunday. Oh, what? It came on Sunday. It came on Sunday. What kind of mail service do you use, my dude? Oh, wait, no. <laughs> wait, it, I think it came on Saturday. Though. Do you know what that means? That means God delivered it to you. <laughs> God, <laughs> God brought the book straight to your doorstep. You know what? Something else I want to talk about? We, we might not have time. Well, no, we have time. Is uh, Kant. Time? Kant. Oh, Kant. Yeah. Emmanuel Kant. Kant? Emmanuel His Kant. stuff is interesting, yeah. He's the. Uh... Well, there's something I have right here that I wanted to bring up that kind of has to tie in with Mike, what Mike was saying before. All right, let's do. Let's hear it. All right. Um, it's from the Truth by Neil Strauss, and I mean he's dealing with sex addiction right now, so it's a little bit different, but it it, it ties in kind of the same way. Um, so he says, to survive painful beliefs and feelings, we often mask them with anger. That way, we don't have to feel the shame behind it. The payoff of anger is mastery, control, or power. So the anger makes you feel better and one-up. When you use sex to restore power or feel better about yourself in a similar way, this is what's known as eroticized rage. And, I mean, that last part isn't really necessarily where it ties in. But, um, but earlier on, I mean, how how Mike was saying that um, that people who are vengeful. Oh. Vengeful? vengeful yeah <laughs> or vengeful um try to you know justify it by saying that it is just an act of justice and i mean i guess the point that they get there is i mean with vengeance typically comes anger and if they are uh i mean if they, if they are seeking vengeance out of anger then it's probably because of they they feel shame for what the other person did to them and so this and and so instead of eroticized rage where they use sex to restore power, they're using this vengeance to restore power. That's and interesting. And it makes them feel better and have control and power and mastery over the other person. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think that's like applicable to a lot of things. You know, there's a lot of yeah. stuff that we do that is for control because we want to feel in control. And that's ultimately mm-hmm. why Christianity gets a weird, you know, stuff around it with people who are like like Christopher Hitchens. Have you guys looked uh Heard, heard of him? I oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he basically says that he admits, he admits 
he's he's an atheist, but he actually calls himself an anti-theist. Um, yeah. Because he says, yeah, and he says that, you know, he admits, he says, I don't want there to be a God because then I would have to follow rules if there was a God. So it's interesting. Like he admits essentially his atheism or anti-theism is for control. And um, yeah. that's why it's interesting that the existentialism kind of kind of plays into that, I think, to an extent. But it's, mm. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, All right, <clears throat> Mike. Did you have something else? There's something I was gonna say. I With Kant? No. Okay. Okay. Damon. Yeah. Um. So what you were just saying about Christianity and seeking for control, <laughs> and how when you become a Christian, you have to let go of that control and allow somebody to take mastery over you. Yeah. Um. I mean, that is what Saint Augustine is dealing with. Oh yes, so long, dude. Augustine's he, I mean, an awesome I mean, example. Right, he he constantly wants to justify anything else, so he does not have to follow these obscene rules that God has forced down on him, and mm. he, and and that's one of the reasons why he's so, um, uh, had been on just finding an excuse to make sure that to to make no God. So yeah. that he can continue living the life that he finds, you know, enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And so um, he was what, – what is that thing called where you uh, where you flip o- open a Bible and like um, – and you just find a random verse and like it like speaks to you? Oh, I don't know what that is. I'm not sure. It's a, what is it? They said is it, he heard take up and read, right? It was – it was something um, – I don't know if this is it. It was in Romans. I know that. Yeah. But um, I'm having trouble finding it right now. Give me a second. Online. But anyway, I mean that. I mean, one of the greatest minds in uh, in Western history is is Saint Augustine, and he he's admitting the same thing that we're discussing right now. Yeah. That it's hard. It's hard to let go of control. You have to you have to humble yourself to like an extent that like is just not natural. And I mean, mm-hmm. I think I, 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 I mean, something that I do like I struggle with in my faith is that I don't I don't know why, but I don't feel emotion towards my with my faith. Yeah, that's and interesting. I, and I and I don't uh, like I, I, I feel very like sure that what i believe is correct and yeah. i don't know why necessarily i i have trouble assigning emotion to that that strong belief and so i've been thinking about it a lot recently and i'm i'm just kind of wondering like like i i feel like if i really like understood and acknowledged exactly what i believe god did for me then i would constantly feel emotion i'd be rambling on about god uh, annoyingly Mm -hmm. it would it would be unbelievable and nobody would want to be around me because of how much i'd be talking about him yeah if i really understood but clearly i do not i just know it i know it to be factual to me Mm -hmm. and so i i see it and i and i know it's there but i just can't assign emotion to it it's kind of like us and with uh, 9-11, you know, everyone mm-hmm. who was born before it, 
I mean, or like young during it, like, it's just like, how do you like assign emotion besides, besides just what you've seen growing up, like where you feel bad for somebody because they've lost somebody else besides yeah. that, like little bit, like we're, we're trying to assign emotion with somebody who, who died first 2000 years ago. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. How are we, how are we like, I mean, I, I know how we're supposed to feel emotion, but like, yeah, like but I don't, than, yeah, I, I just can't people. find I just can't find out how to do it exactly. Yeah, it's, and I wonder if it's an issue with humility. Like, I wonder if it's because I'm not like humble enough to, to let like, you know, God take control and like, you know, give me that like emotional, like, like, I, I feel like I'm being deprived of like half of my faith. Like half of it is like your like emotional, like compliance to it. And then the other half is understanding and knowing and learning. And like, yeah. I just feel like I'm just like, you know, like walking on like a tightrope and like i'm like just trying to like make my way through it but like i like if i fall like it's just because like there's no emotion attached yeah. you know and like you have to have both because your yeah, foundation you becomes only, weak yeah you, you can't have the emotion either right? yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think that's actually more dangerous than where i'm yeah, at yeah no it's well so it's interesting you, you get like there's two um there's two sides to the like christian argument not argument but that like worship is a good example there's very objective like worship where it's like we only do hymns and like in old in augustine actually believed uh don't even have music like that that was yeah. that you might take yeah, pleasure no, it, in the music his, instead his example of is wonderful yeah but then wonderful because he's saying that like when he listens to music like he finds more pleasure it that pleasure in it than just the actual straight out words so he 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 doesn't want like his human nature and his like fleshly desires, you know, what you hear in your ears, to be what attracts him to you know good knowledge. So yeah, sorry, I, that's just yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No. That's a good. No, that's a good. Uh, that's a good discussion to have. Yeah. So. Huh. Yeah, I kind of resonate with what Damon was saying, and I also, I mean, I was kind of thinking about that, but like, I guess I couldn't put it into words. Perhaps because of like my just my arrogance or whatever, but I do feel like the connection to God I have is just by like logic and reason and and thinking and things like that, not the emotional side of it. Well, one thing that I was mulling over. Oh frick, dude! A mouse literally just fell out of the ceiling. I'm not even joking. I'm. I think it's dead. What? A mouse just fell out of my ceiling. I'm not even kidding. It's oh no, it's moving. I think I have to go catch that. Hold on. Don't. Why are you gonna catch it? <laughs> All right. I'm sorry for the. Okay, continue. Um, so the reason that I get annoyed by people who their main connection to God is emotion is is it's like. God was only appealing to them because, the argument given to them appealed to the emotions they were missing in that moment. Yeah, it's very um, so, it's experiential. Yeah, so what that means is if an atheist walked up to them and appealed to those exact emotions for an atheistic argument, they would be an atheist. Yeah. And so that means they have no idea why they believe anything. That's the scary part. That's the scary yeah, that's part. The scary and that's the danger part. of it. And, and yeah, you that's also what I you'll find so annoying about people like that. It's it like, creates very weak you know, Christians. Yeah. And on the yeah. other side, just to bring this up, I mean, if an atheist tried to come over to me and try to you know influence me and you know his beliefs or her beliefs whatever i 
necessarily wouldn't be like easily compliant but i would be persuaded emotionally by him because he's another human being that i can connect to and relate to yeah of course whereas i can't find that connection and relation and emotional you know compliance with jesus 2000 years ago even though you know like i believe that he's here with us right now but yeah it's, well, that's, it's a it's a separation of of physical like connection. So what yeah. about um like people who you know what the term slain in the spirit means? No. So like that'll be sometimes you'll see um I don't know if you've ever seen like a video or I've seen it in person but it's really weird. Um people will be like praying over someone and they'll just be like overcome. Sometimes they'll pass out when they're being prayed over oh. uh or like speaking in tongues. Slain in the spirit is specifically when you, like, just lose it because of it, but you don't necessarily pass out, I believe. Uh, Then there would be, like, passing out, and then there's, like, speaking in tongues. So, like, what do you think of those on, like, I guess an emotional level, too? Because those are, like, if you pass out, that's a pretty emotional reaction to something, anything. So, I mean, what do you think of that? Then, like, is that a danger? Is it not necessarily real because it's too much of an emotional reaction or is it i i I would say that as long as there's balance i think it's okay because if that person understands and knows and 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 has a connection with the historical um and like just i mean not necessarily historical but like if they really know what they're talking about then i would say that it's perfectly okay for them to be that emotionally inept but if they are strictly you know emotional or strictly you know, documentational, then I don't think that it would necessarily, it's not, it's not a benefit to them at all because Mm -hmm. they, they're, they're only walk, they only have one half of the whole. (laughs) And if, I mean, and that's, I mean, and whether Christianity is mostly like, I mean, (laughs) like you, you have, you have a God who's trying to fulfill you and save your part, like your parted soul to come into restoration in him and his holiness to make it whole. So if you're only in your physical days, if you're only exemplifying half of it or only can pursue half of it, then you are not really getting the picture of what God wants you to, you know, pursue here. That's what I would say on that. All right. If I may take this in a more theological direction, which we're going to do because I think it's interesting. But um, so... As coronavirus stuff kind of heated up, I know, I think you maybe told me, or, or someone else I know that was Catholic, uh, told me that churches were offering only uh, only bread or only body uh, in communion, for and, and you had to receive it into your hand. You couldn't have it placed directly into your mouth anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, what? And I've heard of other instances, instances of the Catholic Church doing this where they'll have one sacrament or one part of the sacrament and not the other. What's your, like, thought? I don't want to have a debate here because I don't particularly have a strong stance on it, but just, like, out of curiosity, what's your thought on that? Like, do you think it makes sense to have only the bread and not, I'm going to say bread and wine colloquially because that makes sense to speak, but that's, you know, that's not what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it, does it make sense to only have bread and wine or, or I, only I, have I, one? Yeah, what I would say about that, and I mean, personally, I'm still learning, so it is hard to, you know, make, you know, uh, concise claims, but I would say that um, when, when 
there is transubstantiation in the Eucharist, I think that part of it, I, I like, I don't, I don't necessarily think that dividing the two or having one or the other really makes too much of a difference because you're experiencing the full substance of Jesus' mind, body, soul, spirit, every part of him in what you are digesting, whether it is, you know, his blood or his um, flesh, his his flesh, right. So I, I don't like I, I, I don't think that when you're having, you know, the bread and wine that you're having half of Jesus and then another half of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. OK, that's I true. I think that it is it is I think that the transubstantiation takes place fully in whatever is being uh, whatever the sacrament is being placed on. OK. And then, Mike, what kind of church do you go to? Non-denominational. Is he still here? I don't know, but that's where he goes to. <laughs> Mike? Yeah. Oh. Sorry. So, um, um, you go to a non-denominational church? Yeah. Okay, so what's your thought? Were you here for that conversation, or did you, like, step out? I had to go because my my people are telling me to go. Oh, all right. <laughs> if you need to but, jet, we well, can... No, ask, I'll, I'll answer this question, and then I gotta go. All right, so, um, do you think it makes sense, theologically... To, or what's your take on giving one part of the sacrament of communion and not the other, like bread but no wine, or wine with no bread? What What do you mean, like? Yeah, like so. Uh, are just, you wondering if I think it has to be together, or if it's it's okay to have only the flesh or the blood? Yeah, I mean, would it be better to do one or to do none? I guess so. Like, because with coronavirus, people uh, churches were doing only bread, and they were oh. so. Um, what's your thought on that? Well, why would they not be doing blood? Uh, because, because everybody they share the drinks cup. have the same cup. Oh, oh, I see, I see. Um, I don't know. I mean, well, my church does it differently. What we do is we have like these little things where like we peel like this uh, thing back and we get the bread and then we peel the other thing back and we get the wine. Is it so always like, like that? Little, like, yeah, it's like this its own little like capsule, so it's like there's no what? way for it to be contaminated with anything. Yeah, I know it's weird. That's crazy. That's yeah, like but they go to an expensive church. Yeah, by the seriously, way. <laughs> kind of rich churchy. But yeah, um, no, you so, should see it. <laughs> but for the for Catholics, like you, it's essential to have the bread and the to have the flesh and the blood, right? Daniel? Well, what no, I, what it, I was it was more Catholic too, churches that don't that were doing uh, only. Yeah, and actually, my my church has not been doing uh, the wine for a while. I I don't exactly know the reason, probably just to stop spreading contamination. But, I mean, what I was was telling to Matt, which you missed out, I'll give a little brief explanation. But um, I was saying that in the transubstantiation, you're experiencing the full substance of Jesus being put put into. I mean, I I don't think that's the right word to use, but for time's sake, it's put into um you know the bread and wine and so to have the bread and just the bread or the flesh and just the flesh it doesn't matter what you want to call it right now um you are still experiencing the whole substance of jesus it's not Mm -hmm. like it's divided between flesh and blood because all of his substance is in both of those things so there's no i i wouldn't say that the separation necessarily matters because you're still experiencing the same amount of Jesus. <laughs> Non-theological okay, yeah, people, no. anyone listening who's not 
a Christian is going to be like, what the, what the heck are they talking about and why do I care? <laughs> Actually, they're probably not listening at this point. So if you made it this yeah. far, congratulations. Yeah. You are now a theologian. <laughs> All right. Well, right, I gotta um, go though, boys. Yeah, if Damon's or if Mike's gotta go, let's. Uh, I'll just wrap up here because we're about thirty-six minutes. So, Damon, I'll definitely get you back on here again once uh, right. everything clears up. You can come over, even if it doesn't clear up, honestly. Yeah. But yeah. um, yeah. So uh, I anybody. I got my license too, so I can pull up whenever. Oh, dude, that's dope. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, and um... you're gonna pick me up on your way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, everybody who's listening, thanks for tuning in today. I uh, appreciate it. Thanks to Mike and Damon who uh, gave their time to uh, make this episode. Uh, remember to email me at mharrisonpodcasts at gmail.com if you have any suggestions, any questions you'd like to hear asked next time I do an interview, uh, any suggestions for who to interview, or if you would like to be an interview yourself, <clears throat> we can make that happen. Just send me an email. Uh, follow the podcast on Twitter at sh- at shutdown pod okay and uh don't forget to leave us a good review if you're listening on apple Podcasts. it helps a lot if you enjoyed it and please share if you had a good time so that's all for today thanks for listening this has been total shutdown with matthew harrison